What do you do when freight costs go up 300%? How do you solve that? As you mentioned, like what will the customer take? What will the customer absorb? Given where we are today, 15 days, I think, into the Russia-Ukraine issue, gas prices here at four and a half bucks, if not more, I think you should overthink about this. Is this a is this a brick and mortar company looking for a gimmick, or am I missing something here? I don't know. Let's let's speculate on this one together. Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. Paul and I are back in front of our microphones, and you just got off of a plane last night uh, back at home. Any uh, any issues getting to and from Peoria this week, Paul? No, no. I, I'm you're going to jinx me though. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, we you know. <laughs> We usually record these on Fridays, and I typically only travel on Mondays and Tuesdays these days. So yeah, this week we're doing our recording a little different. I flew in last night. Uh, you know, you and I have our our almost I feel like almost decade long argument now about the checking bag. So uh, it it takes me longer to get my bag at Dulles than to actually fly from Chicago O'Hare to Dullas sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's the risk reward factor. It's the, you know, like it's, uh, you know, it's what you gain from checking your bag versus what the risk is when United inevitably will lose it. But, um, but you have, you definitely have had good fortune um, as far as that stuff is concerned. Um, you know, I, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff that's on the blotter, but I, I don't know that there's a, a, a more salient discussion than, than Russia right now. And, I mean, I, I think I'd, I think I started out by saying, you know, when you and I recorded last week, we talked a bit about Russia and we said, you know, hey, like it's in the very early days and we're going to see what's coming. I think on a personal note, I, I think I have been, um, I've certainly been stunned by um, by the pictures and the devastation coming out of, uh, of Ukraine. Just in that, you know, I think back from an age standpoint and, you know, being able to see, you know, the, the Kuwait war happen um, in bits and pieces. Um, you know, obviously we saw less footage than we do today, but but just the civilian effects, casualties, hospitals, things like that, that I just don't really remember in wars gone past has really sort of hit me. Um, and so, so setting aside the business side of it, that that part has really um, that part's really sobered me up on this. Well, the thing that one of the biggest differences between that war and this one is that this one's being live streamed on TikTok. Yeah. You know, we didn't yeah. have all that back then, you know, just yeah. as recently as 20 years ago and even 30 years ago, we didn't have that. You just you turned on the TV. Uh, and you, I mean, I, I remember when 9-11 happened, I pulled up CNN.com. It's still visceral in my mind. I just remember that big banner across the top of the, but now I look at, I look over, you know, at Dana's phone sometimes and, you know, she might be scrolling TikTok and that's where yeah. you, you'll see. I mean, it's, it's just amazing uh, and awful at the same time, right? You know, it's amazing in the yeah. sense that you can, you've got journalists citizen journalists, if you will, um, able to now broadcast almost real time. Uh, it's, it's awful because of what you see sometimes, yeah. which, you know, uh, but I think that, you know, with the, particularly with the audience listening to this podcast, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that all these global things are starting to impact, uh, companies here in the U S and, and let, let's talk about that if you like, but I think I yeah. think this is all hitting closer to home. That battle's 10,000 miles away, but it's affecting everybody now, including business owners here in the U.S. And I think it's important to get ahead of that now. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think we should dig into what we what we see on the horizon and how how founders should be preparing for that. Um, you know, just a quick heads up for folks tuning in. If you want to shoot us questions or if you want to tell us we're wrong, which we frequently are, um, you can email us show at resultsjunkies.com. Paul is all over my social media feeds at Paul Singh, and I am at Pizza in Motion. I've been thinking about this, and we talked a little bit about it, but we didn't dig in too deep. You know, I I look and I you know we we have more um, durable good and physical good investments. I think you know percentage wise than maybe you've had over the past decade. Um, But you know, on a day to day basis, with everything that you're that you're doing at Bump. you know, obviously you guys are very involved in, in physical goods. And I just, I, you know, I, I guess the easiest way to ask the question is, do you feel like you've put in enough time to really even start to begin to answer the, or ask the right questions about what I think is a significant supply chain disruption coming down the pike? Well, we, we talk about it quite often. Uh, you know, back when the pandemic first started hitting the United States, it became a top of mind thing. I mean, I, we used to, yeah, God, I can't remember when the pandemic started, but I guess that was two years ago now. Two years ago. When that started ago. happening and we started to hear rumblings of supply chain um, issues, you know, prior to that, we were working our way towards, um, you know, days on hand to being under 40 days or so. Like we were working our way towards like lower numbers like that. Yeah. And I remember back then we were like, whoa, what? I don't know what's going to happen here, but you know, the short-term thing we need to do here is, is what we talked about as leadership team was we need to go ahead and pull all orders forward, get them in here into the warehouse as fast as we can. And, um, we probably need to start being comfortable holding 120 days inventory, maybe even more in certain cases, just depending on how, uh, we think about the vendors. And I, there, you know, maybe my memory's a little foggy, but I remember going uh, back then, you know, our merchandising team started, you know, sort of loosely, underwriting we had this internal document i think if i remember right of like you know our confidence level of each vendor you know and and what we needed to do with them so we've been thinking about it quite often we talk about it quite often but here more recently particularly with russia and ukraine now we're starting to think about the larger macro effects and and not to kind of beat around the bush here you know if you're listening to this and you're tuning out because you're thinking you don't have a uh physical good business or a restaurant like Ed, I, I, I got news for you. I mean, I got friends now whose natural gas bills went to a thousand bucks in the last couple of days or for the last, you know, for the last couple of weeks, that's a lot of money for the average American. So whether you're selling software, whether you're selling, like if your customer is a consumer, this is going to affect you if it's not already. I mean, look, gas prices. I mean, I, you know, last night coming over from the airport, it was four and a half bucks in Ashburn and I was in Peoria these last two days. It was, it was, uh, I saw a couple places at 455, 475 just for regular. I mean, that's, that's hitting the average American really yeah. hard. And I wonder, you know, by the time this episode goes live, what the price of gas will be. Um, you know, there's been, you know, the oil futures markets this, this, this morning seem to take a little bit of a step back, but, um, I, you know, there's, there's just a lot of unrest in, in that market. I, I think you got to plan for the worst case. Uh, I think that, you know, and I'm trying to kind of keep this as generic as possible so people can apply it to themselves. But, you know, you know, maybe I'll just kind of be more specific. You know, when I think about it in the, in the context of Bump, we have to consider accelerating our 
diversification efforts, you know, into additional product lines or business lines that don't require shipping things. Um, you know, things like our investing more heavily in our medical division uh, and, and maybe even our insurance division. Um, those are things you don't have to always ship. But I think that uh, you also have to think about this shipping costs. Like, you know, we've always baked free shipping into everything, just like most retailers or e-commerce companies have in the last couple of uh, years. Yeah. But there's going to be a question about that over the next couple of weeks. You know, will the, will the average consumer accept a fuel surcharge on their e-commerce shopping cart? I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but th th there are profound effects, I think, that are, that are um, we're all going to have to start thinking about. We, we spent the last couple of days talking about a lot of these things, um, you know, but I don't know. If we're speculating here, I guess what I would just say is uh, we're all speculating here. And it's important to, like, no, let me rephrase. Given where we are today, you know, almost the end of first quarter 2022, 15 days, I think, into the Russia-Ukraine issue, gas prices here at four and a half bucks, if not more. I think you, sh you should overthink about this. Um, nobody ever, nobody ever kind of said, gosh, I overprepared. Well, what a waste of time. <laughs> so you should be thinking about your cash position for the next year. You should assume that investors are going to pull back you, uh, you know, for your startup. You should assume that the expectations for your next round have now doubled. Because uh, competition is going to go up. You should assume that your costs will rise. Your supply chain will be disrupted. You should assume all these things and start uh, at least building a contingency plan ABC um, and go from there. So, uh, yeah, like do that now. <laughs> That's all I can say. I can't overstate state that enough. Do that now. Yeah, I think, you know... Um... Well, first off, I think as you as you alluded to, cash is king. So you know, if you don't have money in the bank uh, as a as a founder, that's definitely something that you've got to get out in front of quickly. And we talked a little bit about the domino effects before we hit the record button today. But I mean, you know, uh, with all the airspace closures, uh, a number of key freight routes have been grounded, um, and so those folks that used to move stuff very quickly via air freight are. Um, are now having to, you know, figure out other ways to do that. And in some cases, they're still finding air freight routes that they're just taking a longer route, but they're bumping people out of those planes who are now being bumped to, um, you know, to shipping capacity, you know, you know typical boat crossings. And then you've got potentially more boats coming into already crowded ports and crowded ports going into crowded trucks without enough drivers and on and on and on. And, and it's, you know, I think the question that I posed to you earlier, which I think is the question every founder has to ask themselves right now, if you're in any sort of a DTC business and you're you're involved with physical goods where shipping is going to be a thing, you should be wondering now, like if you pay, and I'm making numbers up, but if you pay a dollar a box to ship something today, you need to know how high you're willing to go and what your backup plan is because you could wake up tomorrow and that could be $3. It could be 3X in a heartbeat. It could be 5X because somebody else is willing to overpay um, you know, significantly. We we saw this at the beginning of the pandemic. Five Guys, um, you know, as a restaurant concept, we've always worn gloves. Um, you know, it's not required by health code, but it's just something all of our people have always done. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like we had our contracts for gloves. Well, obviously, everybody needed gloves at that point. And, uh, you know, our, our, our vendors said, look, we can still supply you gloves, but the price has gone up 300% right. overnight. Right. And so that was our core vision. Like we were always going to wear gloves and we obviously weren't going to change that in the middle of a pandemic. So if you're a DTC company and, you're, and your entire vision is shipping products to consumers, 
you know, what do you do when freight costs go up 300%? How do you solve that? As you mentioned, like, what will the customer take? What will the customer absorb? Do you, you know, do you do the shrinking orange juice container now? And instead of a 64 ounce container, do you ship them 61 ounces? You know, there's all these questions and you should have all those questions asked today, even if there aren't answers, because with some of them, using you guys as an example, if you decided that the way to solve it for some folks was to send them a smaller box, now you've got to make sure you can get the box. You know, like there's all these all these layers. Um, and and while cash is a key driver in all of them, um, you know, in some instances right now, no amount of cash is going to get you the product you need to pivot. This, that, that right there, that right there is so important. Like that is a, such a simple statement, but that's the one. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. So, um, as you think about your your game plan around this, right? Uh, and I'm trying to make this as 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 broad as possible so people can apply it to their businesses differently, right? Because, like for example, with restaurants, you guys are using air freight because products got to be fresh. Uh, with with some of our stuff, or the majority of our stuff, it's all ocean freight, you know. So we we're we're buying this stuff months in advance. But but let me just cut to the chase. As you think about your, uh, you know, response to this to this uh, Russia, Ukraine, this broader, you know, uh, economic sort of impact to the consumer. Uh, I think it's important to start thinking about uh, uh, your plan and your strategy. And we'll save most of this for the next episode probably, but let me just kind of plant the seed now. Uh, planning is really about, uh, you, you know, thinking about the things that you know for sure. It's about, you know, what's the game plan for the known knowns, if you will, right? But then the strategy here is really fundamentally about the uh, unknown unknowns and what are the bets you need to take uh, or you might be willing to take to, to, to get prepared or to get ahead of this. Uh, and I'll just, we'll save this for the next episode, but just as an example, you know, when you talk about um, what if there is a supply chain disruption, well, you know, that, uh, is a known known. It could happen at any given time. So now, for example, you could start thinking about how to, you could start building a plan of, hey, we're going to start vetting uh, uh, manufacturers in the United States. We're going to start vetting manufacturers in South America, right? That Those are plans that you could then start to put in motion because you, you know that there's a risk to the supply chain. Then there's the things like strategy stuff, which is, you know, fundamentally a bet uh, at all times. Strategy is always a bet. And it's about what are the unknown unknowns? Well, we don't know if the consumer will accept pass-through fuel surcharges. We don't know if, uh, you know, uh, uh, the unions will will strike in, in July. We don't know those things, right? Um, so what do we do? Well, you know, as an example, uh, you should be, if you're in durable goods, you should be thinking about how do you... Uh, maybe diversify some of your revenue into uh, membership fees uh, or, me or sorry, membership revenue or other um, higher margin revenue items to the customer that don't require a physical product. Um, you know, in the context of like five guys and, and just restaurants in general, I think this amongst many other things is going to probably force uh, more thinking around what, what do we do um, to, 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 maybe get ahead of this if, for example, um, consumers start spending less on burgers. I don't know, right? But I, I bet you, without knowing anything about the details here, I bet you the people at Yum Brands and a couple of these other like larger restaurant uh, you know, m management companies or whatever you call them, 
they're probably patting themselves on the back for testing out membership programs. You know, like Taco Bell has their unlimited taco club. <laughs> Panera's got the unlimited coffee club. Yes, those things are dependent on, um, you know, supply chain, but that revenue is that is ultra high margin. And I bet that gives them a, a little, a little more options than the average restaurant. Uh, you know, to your point about being able to overpay, well, you can overpay if you've got other higher margin revenue sources. Um, so anyway, we'll save that for next week. But yeah, that, that statement you just said there, that's so important. Yeah, I agree. And I think like to put a, to put a bow in this, I would say, you know, some other podcast that I was listening to, they're talking about how, uh, I forget who it was, was talking about this, but they were talking about, uh, Airbnb's CEO and, and this, this talk he gave with his, his staff about the, the the twelve star stay, if you will, and they're like he asked his people to define a one star, or a three star, and a five star stay, and he's like, great, now now tell me what a seven star stay is, and everybody in the audience is like, well, wait a second, we thought the top of the scale was five stars, mm-hmm. and you know, listening to the discussion, it made me think on the flip side of everything we're talking about. What popped into my head was like I remember early on in in in, um, in my career in the hotel and restaurant industry, like I had a uh, you know a mentor who would pull me into a room that had um, you know. Uh, pin cushion walls and we would put sheets of graph paper up and we would we would draw um just like lists of things um and and this became something that i adopted for myself that i do periodically with my team of hey we all have strategy discussions we all have calls like hey like let's have the weekly accounting call let's have the weekly this call let's have the weekly that call like we all have that cadence um but this specific time was spent for talking about like like not necessarily true black swan things but all this stuff that you and i are talking about here and i think the best thing that founders uh, could do right now that are listening to us is to reserve time for don't don't put together a plan on what to do if the price of fuel goes up. Uh, to Paul's point, make a list of the things that could happen that you that aren't really on your radar, and then send people to go spend time thinking about how to tackle those issues. Um, but but to your point, you know what happened if you put a fuel surcharge on your customers and thirty percent of them decide to unsubscribe? Like that's a Somebody needs to go work on that project. Um, yeah. and, and you need those top five or top 10 list of, you know, craziest things that could happen that are now, um, you know, much more of a reality in your business. Yeah. I mean, the black swan of 2021 was iOS 14. <laughs> right. And the black swan of 2022 is Russia, Ukraine. Uh, both of them probably felt for the average entrepreneur, average professional, probably felt like, oh, that's not going to affect me. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, you're like, wait, what just happened to my business? <laughs> Yet another week where we're having discussions about Apple uh, iOS 14 and, and just sitting here saying like it was the undisputed black swan of 2021 for, for tech folks. No question. So I, I want to I want to ask you about something else, <laughs> and I, I don't know you know maybe maybe it's just because it's the this cross section of restaurant and tech that that everybody seemed to to ping me with this one, but uh, but I know I shared with you in the in our show note channel this this thing about Shake Shack rebating customers Bitcoin, and I still you know like I've I've had it I had probably half a dozen people send it my way smart folks you know you know everyday folks the whole bit, um, and I'm just trying to figure out if this is really just a you know like everybody's interested in it and they hit the 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 headline correct or if there's something here because i still tend to feel like this is a gimmick 
but uh, but I mean, like the genesis of this is Shake Shack has a limited uh, test going on right now where if you order through the cash app, um, if you're to burgers through the cash app, they'll rebate you 15% of your purchase in the form of Bitcoin. Um, is this, you know, is this a is this a brick and mortar company looking for a gimmick or am I missing something here? I don't know. Let's let's speculate on this one together. I think. OK, so for I don't, you know, Cash App, this has got to be a marketing. This is probably coming out of Cash App's marketing budget. I would think so. I would think they're paying for all of it or most of it. And I think that for Shake Shack, this is probably, uh, you know, uh, advertising income with optionality on the crypto halo. Do you know what I'm saying? So what's the worst case scenario for, for Shake Shack here? They get, probably got some advertising spend from Cash App. The best case scenario, that's the worst case scenario. They got money. Uh, the best case scenario is uh, that they get advertising budget budget from uh, uh, Cash App. And if this works at all in the longer term, they they get to have that sort of halo that comes with being a restaurant that was early to crypto payments uh, in some way. So th- this is the definition of an asymmetric bet, right? The The downside for Shake Shack is nothing. It's not like they're going to so, yeah. lose any yeah. customers on this. Right. The upside could be nothing, but it also could be theoretically infinite. Now, you know, obviously nothing's infinite, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like you've, this is like, this is like classic angel investing at what, what you and I do. The first check is an option call to the second round. It's not, yeah. you're not just writing one check and then looking away for 10 years. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's a smart move on their part. Um, I don't know. I, I, I bet you they're not seeing a huge sales lift on this, but I think that for cash app, this is probably like a good, you know, it just looks good on paper kind of thing. And, um, you know, it it just looks good for everybody. I bet you nobody's like running to the bank and excited about this, but like, it's a good thing. And the timing I think is probably good too. Now they probably could not have called this. But if you think about how this also ties to Russia and Ukraine, and I feel like we might even lose people here because we talk about this so much, but I'm telling you, it's so intertwined. I mean, I, I think I saw in the news yesterday or th- earlier this week that, you know, the administration has ordered a review of, you know, crypto and what that would mean for like a digital dollar. Uh, right. And that's kind of, you would think in, in a vacuum, you're like, yeah, whatever, right? But here's the thing. All these sanctions that the, the world is placing on Russia you know, the flip side of that is that like it used to when when the dollar was the thing that you could kind of use to, you know, hurt other people, uh, that was a very powerful weapon. But now, even with sanctions, you could move money through crypto and governments right. do it all the time. Well, I wouldn't say they do it all the time, but certain governments sure. are known to do it. Um, so so anyway, I think I think there's I think that the worst case scenario for like this whole bit uh, Shake Shack and cash app thing is they were probably all like yeah it's advertising budget you know halo effect whatever but for them i bet you this ukraine russia crisis has probably come at the right time for them in the sense that you know their downside is still capped but crypto may start to become a more discussed thing uh, across business over the next couple weeks and months i i wouldn't be surprised if you start to hear stuff on like the nightly news about crypto account was seized, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I bet you you're going to start to see that stuff on the news. Um, 
I, like, for example, I don't think these oligarchs or whatever are going to like, li- you know, take these seizures laying down. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I wouldn't think so either. And I think, you know, to your point about you know people moving cash with Bitcoin, I wonder, uh, you know, like when I when I saw this story originally, I looked up and I, I might get the number wrong, but I'll get it right in terms of order of magnitude. I think like twenty percent of Americans own some share of of Bitcoin whether that's, you know, a oh, yeah. fraction of a coin or 10 coins or what, what have you. And, you know, I think, you know, you and I are both in Bitcoin. We've had lots of discussions about it over the years. It's down, I don't know, 30% from its high. I, you know, I want to say Bitcoin's probably somewhere in the $40,000 range that we're recording. And I think it was as high as 60, maybe. Um, so, I, but I wonder with, with something like this and with all the stuff that comes out there, like I understand, I get all the, like, as you said, I agree with everything you said about, you know, what the upside is for, for Shake Shack, what the upside is for cash, for the cash app and block and all that stuff. Um, you know, what's your, you know, let's say, let's close on this. Like, what's your, what's your gut tell you for the, for the, so, so if um, you have 20% of, of the US population has Bitcoin, so 50 million people, something like that how many of them are actually using it for transactions versus how many people are doing what I think I know what I'm doing with it. I think it's what you're doing with it, which is you're, you're holding it as a diversification of portfolio. So like, are we at a point where Bitcoin is really transactional or is it just another wallet for most people that they're hiding under the bed? All right. I think I'm going to probably get some hate mail for this one, but I think in the U S Bitcoin is primarily (laughs) a store of value. It's not really a currency yet. You know, so in, in, the, so, yeah. in the sense that, you know, I hold Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. I know plenty of people that hold Bitcoin at, here in the U.S. Yeah. So here in the U.S., just to be very clear, I think Bitcoin is sort of a, a store of value. It is not yet practical enough to, to go uh, and use it as a currency. Now, that may change as, you know, the government starts to do their, you know, research and start to think about what the crypto dollar, I don't know what that'll look like, right? But I think it's important to zoom out and, and, you know, recognize that if we think about Bitcoin adoption, like Bitcoin has taken off in markets where your, you know, your population's either unbankable or you uh, have a high uh, risk of corruption in your governments and things like that. Like when you look at Venezuela, I mean, look, look like Russia and Ukraine. When the war started, and if you look at the um, the price of Bitcoin in the hours before and after the announcement, I mean, Bitcoin jumped something like ten percent. Yeah. And even you know, right before we re- we hit the record button today, I uh, I think I read that um, uh, Russia is blocking. Not only are they, is Russia limiting its citizens' ability to draw withdraw hard currency from its own banks. Uh, but it's also uh, restricting or blocking any purchase of or a transfer of do- of rubles into dollars, uh, and it's all it's and its stock market has been closed, I believe, since the beginning of the war. You yeah. know, so so what's happening to Bitcoin? I mean, it's still it's. I'm looking at the you know, for example, the Coinbase chart right now. It looks like it's up another at 42k right now. So it's up another few percent, whatever the math is. Yeah, it's is up on a little that. bit. So I think it was 40 last I looked at. It. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So so the point of it is that like. Okay, so back to your question. I think that like 20% of Americans probably hold Bitcoin because it's just, Somebody you know, told it's, become, it's become <laughs> part of the, the you know, the, the discussion, I suppose. Yeah, Super Bowl commercials. Yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, but the, but the adoption itself, uh, the usage of currency is not here because I can't walk into a Five Guys, for example, and spend it yet. Yet. Yeah. Right. But I think that'll change. I don't know whether it's two years or 10 years, but it'll change. 
but the its use as a currency, its utility as a currency is much higher elsewhere, particularly in places where, you know, you've got an unbankable, per, you know, uh, uh, wherever there's distrust of government or lack of banking services, it's really taken off there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I like, again, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm going to get some hate mail on this one, but look, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, look, crypto's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. The question is not, you know, whether you should or shouldn't get into crypto. I think the question is like, what part of your asset allocation is it? And I think that does not just apply to personal bank accounts. I think companies should think about it too. Large companies, publicly traded companies, we all know, uh, hedge currency risk by holding certain amounts of their money or, or their treasuries in other currencies. Th that's a common thing. Like they're commonly, it's very common for publicly traded large corporations to have some amount of their treasuries in other denominations. And, and you know, uh, that's, again, just to simplify it, usually to hedge against currency risk and things like that. Um, Crypto is part of that now. You know, uh, the, the, the cliche option, cliche version of this is, is, you know, what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX and Tesla and all that. I mean, they, they, they do hold money in, in crypto or their treasury, some part of their treasury in, in crypto. Now, from a marketing standpoint, it's like, hey, we're crypto, right? You know, they get, a, they, they get the love of all these early adopters, but they're also not dumb. You know, they, they, they're doing it because they got to hedge against fiat, uh, the fiat currency, right? So um, anyway, it's worth everybody thinking about, you know, uh, both at the personal level and the corporate level is thinking about what are you worried about? Like, again, I'm talking about my pay grade here and maybe you need to like reel me in here, but look, what are we going to do about inflation? <laughs> What's yeah. the hedge against inflation right now for us all personally and professionally? Yeah, I think ultimately, I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, like the, the, the lack of the lack of ability to use it as a currency in the U.S. I think that this, this sort of loops almost all the way back to the beginning of our episode and talk about what founders should be focused on and all this stuff. I'd say if I if I were some of the Shake Shack thing, I guess if 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 Block, uh, the the company behind the Cash App, you know, were to walk into my restaurants today and say, "We will do everything for this, you know, Bitcoin promotion for you, and you won't have to do a single thing other than let us use your marks," I'd probably nod my head. Um, short of that, I would say. So there's there's this, there's this, there's this concept in the restaurant industry of being in an area early because you want to be an early ad adopter of a you know customers and all that stuff. I think this isn't something you need to be early in. I think when there's when there's widespread adoption of Bitcoin, we'll all be able to jump in in relatively quick fashion. And I think businesses that are spending time trying to figure out if they should take Bitcoin um, are a perfect example of the people who aren't spending enough time trying to figure out how what's happening in Russia and Ukraine is going to drastically impact their business. So. Um, you know, I, I think I think end of the day, the time needs to be spent right now on figuring out where the sidelines and the goalposts are on this undefined football field, rather than seeing if uh, an emerging technology can sell you some burgers. I disagree with one part of that statement, and and specifically the part I disagree with is is that hey, you can. I think what you kind of said there was, uh, look, you know you can get into it later. I think you, I forget exactly how you just said it, but, but you were saying like, Hey, you can get into it later. That is true uh, at face value. That is absolutely true. You know, you, you can get into it later. Uh, however, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't completely hate people like me and Ed, then I would bet that you are the kind of person that is thinking a month, a year and a decade ahead. 
And if you're that kind of person, I think you should be thinking about some level of exposure to crypto. Now, obviously, this isn't financial advice or anything like that. But again, I just want to say you are right at face value that you can get into it later for sure. No, no disagreement there. But for the people listening to this audience, who I would, or the audience listening to this, who I would bet are, you know, early adopters, futurists, operators, entrepreneurs, whatever, it's probably worth thinking about it and figuring out like what's right for you. Is it a investing a hundred bucks a month into crypto on an auto buy with Coinbase? Is it a hundred bucks a day? I, whatever, I don't know. But it's got to be some. It's got to be some part of it because there is still a lot of alpha left on Bitcoin. Oh, I, I think we're 100% in agreement there. What okay. I, w yeah. To clarify what I said, is I, I think a business that's spending time figuring out how to expand their customer base by leveraging Bitcoin has their head in the wrong place right now. I think I think the, the key for Fair. businesses right now is you should focus on all the things that you do really, really well, and you should spend time figuring out trying to figure out what the black swan is. But you should make sure your core competencies are absolutely killing it right now because costs are going to go up for pretty much every DTC business over the next 90 days, period. Yeah, agreed. But I would say, you know, to your point about restaurants as an example, right? I think that um, it's, it's, I would place even more urgency on all, on all of this stuff. For example, you said a couple episodes ago, episodes ago that, um, Something like 50% of your revenue per location was coming through third-party delivery services where you have no direct connection to the customer. Right, right. As an example, I would say that that is an area where restaurant operators and owners should really be thinking about now. Like, look, I'm not saying you should get rid of the third party. You can't because they're just, they're big. Consumers expect them now, right? But like, as an example, what you should be thinking about is, is how do I build that relationship with that customer? through the third party, like, or, or like, I don't know, is it st sticking a card inside the bag before the driver picks it up? I, I don't know the answer, but what I do know is, is that, uh, you know, consumer behavior, uh, how do I say this? Like it, the point is you've got to build a direct relationship. You've got to have that first party relationship and the people and the companies that will be the least like we're all at risk here, DTC, restaurants, individuals, we're all at risk here, right? But I think that the people and the companies that are going to be in a best position to absorb whatever is coming are going to be the ones with the most first party relationships with their underlying customers. Agreed. You know? Agreed. And that's what people should be thinking about now. So you're right. Like Bitcoin can wait, <laughs> uh, but, but, but your relationship with your customer cannot. Yeah, you better spend time figuring out how you're gonna how you're going to to deepen that relationship with the customer. So, by the way, real quick, like you know that Super Bowl ad that uh, you kind of alluded to earlier, the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Coinbase one yeah. with the QR code. Yeah, I I think that you know I saw a report the other day that like QR code adoption has skyrocketed since then. So in other words, like by just seeing it on a on a on a um, Super Bowl ad, a much wider audience became comfortable scanning those things. So interesting. Might be had, worth thinking I hadn't about. heard that. It might be worth looking at, that. right? Is is that, you know, um what like as a restaurant, you may have tried putting QR codes on something six months ago and maybe the performance wasn't great. Well it's probably worth trying it again now because it's it's been a it's you know the the big change is that people saw it on the Super Bowl and it became socially acceptable. Yeah. 
So anyway, but everything should be questioned now. So uh, anyway, I, let me stop there. I'm uh, getting hyped here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You hitting the road next week? Uh, no, I am home next week uh, and then hitting the road again the week after. So how about you? I don't know. I, you know, part of the reason we're recording early is uh, some personal matters I lost someone close to me. So we're dealing with sort of some shuffle on some schedule stuff. So don't have a good answer uh, other than um, if I do travel, I would say that there is a double digit percentage chance that something will go wrong. <laughs> I just, I've only flown with you once, maybe twice, but like your, your luck is not great with, with delays. So I love you, buddy, but definitely not getting on a plane with you. <laughs> uh, I'm not bound for Peoria anytime soon. Not that I don't think it's a wonderful place, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to continue flying over it to do what I got to do. So I want to get you out there sometime. Just like, we'll talk about it offline, but I want to get you out there, show you the place, see what you think. Uh, and, and just maybe a hint to the audience too. One of the ideas I'm kicking around is uh, maybe like some sort of reverse tech tour, uh, something perhaps at our HQ there, kind of like a reverse tech tour thing. I don't know what that looks like, but we'll talk about it. You know if it involves airplanes, I'm in. So so just let me know the time and the place. Deal. All right, buddy. We'll have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. <laughs>